We're so excited that you've joined us. This is a week that Christians all over the world get to look back and remember what Jesus did and why we can with so much confidence live our lives differently. But you know, it's a special week for us too. Uh, And if you're visiting, a year ago, our, our conduit family was still meeting at Independence High School, one exit over from here. And a year ago this week, uh, we were <laughs> having our service. We had called in our uh, missionary family. We were laying hands on Rob and Amanda, uh, blessing them to send them out into the mission field and brought all the children down to the front. And I heard a, a, a scream from the back of the room. Uh, and it's the kind of scream of like one word, my name, but it's the scream that says a lot inside of one word, which was something is terribly wrong. And a little crowd had began to form, and I ran to the back, and Susan, you were there that day. It was before Hillview and Conduit families had married, and Susan was there, and, and uh, I got to the back, and Brian Redman was uh, on the ground, was blue, uh, and things had gone terribly, terribly wrong. We knew immediately that something was bad. And what happened is what happens when Conduit is uh, <laughs> involved with anything. We, we sprung into action. And we wanted to talk about that just briefly to say, hey, that day, if you're going to have a major heart event, you should have it next to Michelle Anderson. Because <laughs> Michelle is a cardiology nurse. <laughs> and Michelle, could you take us back to that moment where you were and in your mind, this is what you do for a living. But it's not like being a waiter all week and then pouring coffee on the weekends for someone else. Something, this was a unique situation for you. Um, well... I had actually just taken Olivia, um, the Redmond's youngest, and when Darren called my name, everything kind of went through my brain of what did he look like when he walked up. Um, I took his daughter. He looked fine. He was walking fine. and She was working in children's that day. I was in the, the children's area. So anyhow, and... Um, and your brain just really quickly runs through, are the kids watching? Are they out of the way so they don't see? Somebody said he's having a seizure, and I said, no, he's not having a seizure. And, um, and I remember trying to feel a pulse and not feeling one. And this was hard first service. It's hard second service. It's easy when you don't know anybody. It's easy to turn it off. It's harder when you know somebody and you know they're a father and you know that they're a husband and that you take care of their children, um, it's hard to separate yourself. And um, so basically just kind of jumped in and began CPR, and David Christopher ran over, and he took over compressions. And yeah. And you took charge. <laughs> and there's a lot of people I don't even know who I just basically told them to get off of him and leave him, don't touch him because... We had to shock him multiple times um, to get him back. And we worked for probably 10 or 15 minutes before the EMS ever arrived. It's a long time. It's 15 minutes of any of our lives. Well, Michelle, that day was, um, we've said it, but her skill might be medical, but her gift, if you look at Romans 12, there's this list of gifts, leadership, administration, uh, teaching. And she, she loaded up the gift of leadership that day. And I saw it the first time when someone was uh, doing chest compressions. It was David Christopher, who was our international man of mystery and mission. And 
And he'd been going a while and she said, uh, David, I need to let someone else in. He's like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. And she said, David, I'm not asking. <laughs> but do not mess with Michelle Anderson in the middle of a medical moment. So, so thank you, Michelle, for being there for us. And that morning, um, Shelly was home. Hadn't been feeling well. She's working on homework because she had been going back to school. And so Brian had come to church with the kids. And David uh, Christopher's doing the chest compressions. And, uh, and nobody really knew. Uh, we were just getting to know you guys. It was brand new for us. And so David, had somehow in the middle of chest compressions, I don't know if he was one hand at him or not, but he dials Shelly and hands the phone to Cortland Fuquay, <laughs> who doesn't know who he's calling. <laughs> yeah. Tell us, like, your moment and what that felt like and. So in between everything else that's happening and Michelle's running the scene and all, all things going on, I get this phone in my hand and all I'm told is call Shelly, which has already been dialed, and tell her. No other instructions. Yeah. Uh, Information will be on a need-to-have-known basis. So I'm talking to Shelly. So first, I think maybe she's uh, like Michelle. Maybe she's a cardiac nurse. Maybe, she's, uh, maybe she knows more about Brian than I know about Brian. Because um, at that point in time, I knew of the Redmond family. I couldn't remember Brian's name. Sorry. Um, but it happens. And I, ta- I start a conversation with Shelly. And it, it goes like a conversation goes when there's chaos abounding. Um, and so I told Shelly, I said, Brian's on the floor. And uh, they're doing compressions. Um, we just gotten the AED there, and we're about to do that. And I said, you need to come to Independence. She thinks it's a joke. Um, there's a lot of chaos going on, and she'll tell you that part in just a moment. But the key piece was uh, is you're trying to communicate to somebody, and you're trying to tell them a very delicate thing. And not knowing all the details or the situation, you do what you got to do. So it ended up being that I just told you, get to independence. I think that's exactly how I said it. Um, and that's how the phone call went, and I think I hung up then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I wish we had time to go through how this went, because there were so many. Sarah Dunlap as, a, as an RN that was helping um, I can't remember if it was Jeremy that went and broke away the AED. Incidentally, when we moved into this building, the very first purchase we made was an AED, which is uh, on that hallway right now, locked and loaded. Um, but what I saw that day was uh, simultaneously terrifying, but it was also uh, beautiful because what happened was the body of Christ sprung into action and all seven of those gifts were just moving and it was the perfect response to what the enemy had hurled. And because of that, Brian... Redmond is alive today. So Brian and Shelly, would you join me for a moment? <laughs> Incidentally, that was like two, maybe two songs in, and we just, we went, we just called it off. We didn't take an offering. We didn't, we just decided it was church had been, that was church for that day. Take one for medical bills. Yeah, medical bills. <laughs> so Shelly, tell me, like, take me back to that. We kind of left with Cortland and his side of that phone call. Tell me yours. I didn't really know the magnitude of that phone call until, like, last week when we talked about it. Tell me what you experienced with that. Well, let me just say, Cortland was gracious in his description of the phone call. I was not nice. <laughs> um, did like, you use your emergency language? I did not use any emergency language, which is good. 
uncharacteristic of me, actually. Um, so, no, I, like you said, I wasn't feeling well. I was home. I was literally, um, and Josh ended up staying home, didn't wake up on time for church. Long story, not his fault. So, um, <laughs> Brian and the girls were at church because Becca Christopher had actually stayed the night and was hanging out with Lauren, and he kind of needed to go do the switch with a parent switch and stuff. And so, um, we didn't regularly attend Conduit at the time, but, you know, came here and there, and, and I'm in my bed, in my PJs, computer on my lap, and my phone rings. And I go get it, which is, you know, Sunday morning. Who calls you on Sunday morning? And so I looked at the phone, and it's David Christopher. And I was like, I'm like it's like 10.30. They're about 30 minutes into service. Why is he calling me? This is weird. So I kind of answer the phone, like, you know, what's going on? I'm like, hey, and, and I, it's Cortland on the other end. And all I knew of Cortland was, hi, I'm Cortland. I'm one of the pastors here at Conduit. Like, that's all I knew. I'm Cortland. And so I thought, okay, David's calling me. Cortland's on the phone. Something's up. And it was very confusing. I think really my brain was trying to talk me out of an actual emergency. Yeah. And so um, it, it was. I was confused. It, it was at first I thought there was a car accident or something. And then um, and so then he's starting to talk about you know Brian being on the floor and CPR and defibrillators and they've called him a one. So of course I freak out and I yell at him because I'm angry with him. And I'm like, this is not funny. I don't think this is very funny. If this is a joke, you need to tell me right now because this is not very funny. Because Brian's kind of a joker, and I thought he was messing yeah. with me. Ironically, that's not helpful in that situation. Right. So <laughs> I thought he was messing with me, and then finally, then it was like, Mo, he's not your husband. And I was like, oh, well, then why are you calling me? I really thought that he, they called me for advice or something. And I thought, I'm the best we've got? Me? I, I, I'm the one going back to school because I have no degree. This is the girl right here. And, and I thought... Of all the people, there's like 200 people in this room. I'm the best we have. This is not good. This poor guy that's on the ground. They're calling me for help. So anyway, and then it, then it became clear, no, this is Brian. And I was, and just boom, like that. It was, I, I did finally ask Cortland, why are you calling me? And I hear him yell to David, why am I calling her? And I hear <laughs> David from a distance says, it's her husband. And I was like, whoa. Okay. And in my head. I was like, CPR, you don't do that on people with a pulse. Defibrillators, yeah, this is intense. And in, in, in a, you know, your brain races. And in a second, I had, we had, I was like, I, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I went back to school because Brian does have health issues and I had never finished school. I went back to school so I could be prepared to support our family and stuff. And, um, you know, so that was already pretty real for me. But I literally said to God, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. So I'm planning. I went into planning mode. We're selling it all. We're moving to Phoenix. My family's all in Phoenix. We're moving in with my parents. I could, and in a few seconds, I had rearranged our whole life to fix it, hmm. to, to do what we needed to do. Because Brian, I thought he was going to be gone. Yeah. And, um, and so he's like, get to independence. And so, I, you know, I'm in my PJs, and he has my car, and I can't even drive there. It's a long story. But anyway, I did make it not even to Indy. I went to the hospital. But, yeah. Yeah. And Brian, for you, you don't obviously remember any of that. And I thought about it a couple times since then, thinking if I'd woke up in a dark room with my hands tied down, I'd thought like I'd ended up in the matrix. You know, like I just woke up and like, what was in your mind? Like you woke up, last thing you remember was getting coffee. Right. So I've already said this to the first service to this day. It's very hard for me to get coffee because that's the last thing at Conduit, because that's the last thing I remember. Next thing I know... We've researched it. The coffee was fine, by the way. 
So he says. No, uh, <laughs> no anyway. Liti- um, ongoing litigation, we can't comment on that. Yeah. <laughs> it was, for me, it was, uh, that's the last thing I remember. And then it was pitch black, and um, my hands were tied down. I, I started to move my left hand, I remember. I remember hearing someone, I thought it was a nurse for this last year, found out a couple of days ago it was actually my wife that said this. Actually at his bedside. Yeah, and she goes, Brian, you've had a major heart incident. You're at Vanderbilt. It was pitch black. They had my eyes covered. I had something in my mouth, like a respirator or whatever, and they had my hands tied down, and, they kept, and I kept trying to fight them to take out the respirator, but they told me to lay still, and we'll eventually take it out. Um, so... That's all I knew. All, then suddenly I realized, okay, something happened. I don't know what happened. I'll just be still for a second. And that's how I started to come, come to. So, and obviously we're, you know, again, I wouldn't joke like this with just anybody, but Brian is a joker. Can, you, can we say this out loud? What was it the very first thing you said to me when... Oh, no, I can't say that, can't we? When we came into the hospital room? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never mind. Um, (laughs) There's kids in the service, but it was really funny. And so, but it was obvious it was, you know, there's a little bit of lightheartedness, but also some of that is a deflection of the seriousness of what really happened in their lives because this, uh, not all stories uh, play out this way. And so one of the things that I was really, as we talked about it, last week was you guys are living differently than before. Tell us, Shelly, about that a little bit in your mind. Like, how are you guys living different than you were? I think, um, I think really for Brian, especially, you know, you, we all know that, you know, death is 100%. We all go there, but, um, it's always later, you know, and he's really just had to face his mortality. He's had to look it in the face and say, Wow. I almost wasn't here. And that was hard. I mean, I, in the last year, you know, I'm the researcher. He's the one like doesn't want to know about it. But I, um, I've heard a statistic just a few weeks ago, 7.9% survival rate if you cardiac arrest outside of a hospital. And that's, that's just living, not quality of life, nothing. But look, completely whole and healthy and um, 7.9%. And I think that that just causes you to reevaluate and say, hey... <laughs> Um, how am I going to do this differently? And, you know, you want to say that the sky is bluer and that Brian has saved multiple people from burning buildings and, you know, superhuman strength and that kind of thing. But the fact is that he, God saved him, this person, as he is. And, and we just are going to live and love like that. Those are the words I feel like love, love abundantly, love your kids. We, you know, I feel like that's what we do. And like, we just went to Disney world and there's better use of one's money to, than to go to Disney world. But we have a life to live. I have him here. The kids, we all are here together, whole and healthy. And, and I think that's it. We're just going to live, live life fully and love Jesus fully. I think. Brian, how did it affect you? Like, how do you wake up every morning different than you did? Well, uh, like Shelly said, mortality, you realize life's so short, you want to make the most of every moment. Um, For me, personally, um, I just felt like I really got to take care of my family. I don't know how much time I have. I might be around 20, 30 years. I might be around five. But I feel really driven 
So when I got out of the hospital, and I'll be honest with you, I, didn't, I could barely walk five feet when I got out of the hospital. But I, and finally, a cardiologist, I was just sharing this story after service, the first service. Cardiologist said to me, you know what? You're going to be okay. You're going to go back to work. You're going to get it. And he just really encouraged me. And in this last year, I got three promotions just because I was so driven. No one at work gets that. And um, I just have this real drive to get it done. We were kind of driven before, but now I feel like uh, I remember on our note, I was looking at some of your notes one time. It's like a mission on steroids. I want to get everything done and make sure these, this family is taken care of. And um, I mean, I might be around forever, uh, you know, hopefully. But uh, you never know. Um, we've all had people in our lives, I'm sure someone can relate to, that have passed away. I mean, I had my grandfather suddenly pass away, my mom, other ones. Um, this just really brought it home. I mean, is there anything you would have said different or done different if you weren't, you know, knowing that, if you saw that person again? I just want to drive home that point that life is so precious and it vanishes in a second. And I mean... That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why he rose from rose again, you know? Yeah. I want to drive home that point. And I want to say personally, teaching every one of you, I know who the mayor, major players are, but I don't know every little detail, and I'm just finding out stuff even today. I want to thank you, everybody, for... If it weren't for you guys, I wouldn't be here. I turn everybody down usually and say, I'm not going to talk about this. But for you guys, I wanted to make sure I was here. Yeah. And I'm really grateful for that because there is power in... Uh, the story that God uh, is doing what he does so well, which is taking something that the enemy meant for harm and working it into good. And you being here for us is good. It's good for me as a father to be reminded that, you know, the only difference between you and I is that you are, you have absolutely 100% aware of your mortality in your head and your heart. I'm academically aware of it. And so to bring it to my heart is good. And I think for all of us and what that means uh, we are not promised tomorrow of all the things that Jesus promised us. It wasn't that. And so what can we do today? Good use of our time today. How can I love my family? How can I love my children better? So I, I'm really grateful for that. And I guess I would be remiss to say, hey, look, you guys have experienced something that very few will ever experience. You've had a front row seat to something that very few ever get to see. Only, you know, 7.9% get to see this side of it. What advice, Shelley, would you give? And maybe it's to moms or maybe it's to all of us. And then, Brian, what advice would you give for us uh, with what you know now that you maybe wish you would have known before? Um, I think the word for me is just love. Like, the kids and I went to this service in downtown Asheville on Tuesday, and the, the, the pastor kept talking about an overwhelming love, that Jesus has an overwhelming love for us. And I, I'm just chal- I was just challenged. Like, do my kids feel overwhelmed by my love for them? Does Brian... Does, you know, the people around me, I mean, I have Jesus. I have eternal life. Do the people around me see it? And do they know it? And do they get it? And I think the other thing for me is just to know Jesus, to know him, to really know him. And I think of these, there's two Chinese words for the word to know. One is to know about someone. Like I, you know, like, oh, I know that guy. He's the guy that quit One Direction. Like, I know who that is, right? A moment of silence. Right, so, so you can know someone in that sense, right? I don't know that guy, um, but I know who that is. And, and then there's, a, there's another word that's to know somebody. I know their heart. I've spent time with them. I'm familiar with them. They are known to me. And uh, I think so many um, 
so many of us know Jesus on the on the one level. I know who that is. I've heard of that guy. And then there's to know him, to know his heart, and to have him speak to you, and to have a relationship. And I think that would be my thing. Know know your people. Know your Savior. Don't just know who they are. Don't just know who he is. Hmm. That's really good, Brian. Uh, for me, um, and the reason Shelly brought up change, if you don't know, we were missionaries overseas. We lived in Thailand. Uh, we lived in Australia and China for the longest um, but the reason, one reason I also bring that up is for me, when you said that, what just popped in my mind, we had a class, uh, that was a school of frontier missions. And one time we were given a piece of paper and it had a tombstone on it and it says rest in peace and all that. And they said, if today was the last day of your life, what would you want your tombstone to say? And I just thought, as he asked me that question right now, for me personally, I need to, I feel like I really want to make sure I make the most of my relationships with my family. Um, just, I mean, Josh is going to be out to college eventually. All the girls will be gone before you know it and doing their own thing. And I just really feel driven to make sure um, to make a difference. So if today was the last day, what would you want said on your tombstone? Yeah. And I would say to us and challenge us, by us meaning me, that let's not dishonor the miracle that God accomplished here by not examining who we are and changing at least one thing about us as we leave from the, the wisdom that you guys have gleaned and, and you are around to share with us. So would you guys thank Brian and uh, Shelley? We're so grateful. Yeah, Josh. This is Josh, who is 17. Hi, I'm Josh. Um, <laughs> um, one quick thing that I just remembered at like, the start of this service was that, um, like Mom said, that we did not have the car at the time. And thankfully, my sister's um, best friend's dad came and got us. And so we were really blessed by that. And I just want to like, ask if we could pray for him now because recently he just um, fell off, what was it, a 12, 15-foot truck? He tw- oh. fell off a 15-foot truck, broke... 12 ribs and his neck and an arm and wow. his shoulder. And so, yeah, the, the guy, guy who drove, drove us to the, the hospital. hospital. Wow. So, Josh, would you lead us in prayer? Oh, oh okay. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it, man. If the um. Lord put it on your heart, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, here we go. Okay. Father God, thank you so much for Mike Stanton and what he was able to do for us that day. He dropped everything he was doing, and he was the only person available to us. And he just came right to us and drove us there without any hesitation. And right now he's in a lot of pain. And if I remember correctly, he's still in the ICU. And I just pray for quick healing over him that he would just get back to his family, get back to work quickly, and that his family would have peace in this time. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, buddy. Friday night, we, uh, we enjoyed our first Good Friday service as a church family. It was new for us. And as we were uh, welcoming uh, people in, I was standing in the back door with Ken and Christy Enzer, and it was raining like crazy, which we thought it's appropriate. It was storming. That's, it stormed on that Good Friday, and it's appropriate weather. And, and a white truck, uh, while we were standing there in the back, had pulled up to the back of the property and then had just started to drive all the way back. If you're maybe new around here, we have 11 acres all the way to the back. And 
pulled back behind this clump of trees where we couldn't see him anymore. And uh, there's those moments where like, well, that's kind of weird. But like, the service starts any minute now, so I like, what do we do? And, and I've, like 11 acres, that's a long ways to walk, right? So, so there's that moment of like, well, we could go back there and look, but... And we don't have like a conduit gator, you know, we've been praying, we've been praying about that. Can we get the conduit gator or golf cart or, but you know, the Lord has not provided that. So, we, and if you know, Ken, you know how quickly this conversation could spiral. So I'm over there and it went from, well, I wonder if he's got a still back there, you know, like, well, no, there'd be smoke coming up out of there and I wonder if he's just illegally dumping trash and or some sort of like nefarious behavior. And then, uh, and, but within, I think, about a minute, we went to, he's burying a body. Okay, we got to call <laughs> the police. <laughs> we have a zero tolerance policy for burying bodies on our property. So we, so at 630, I, I call the Williamson County uh, Sheriff's Department, who are on a first name basis with us, it seems, because, you know, you live, our property is right off the interstate. So some fun stuff happens here throughout the week. And so I call the, the sheriff and then... Um, and I'm getting ready to start the service. And, and, and as uh, the time is moving on, the sheriff's on the way. And, and the white truck is pulling out now. And Ken's back there. It's still raining a little bit. And, but now this truck is leaving with a big trailer with lawn care equipment on it. Giant, like, zero-turn mowers. And we're like, uh, well, that's weirder. Uh, because he didn't come in with a trailer. And so as he's pulling out onto 431 uh Ken the deputies are pulling in there are two sheriff's deputies uh, it was pretty slow good friday and so they they get here and Ken's like i don't know he just left he went that way and he had like a trailer on it that he didn't have before and so the police you know they make a u turn and they have literally got this guy you know detained cuffed and stuffed like dukes of hazard style on the side of the road victory has been secured we're going to find out what this joker was doing and then but in the middle of all that i had it had occurred to me to text cortland to say, hey, do we know anybody <laughs> who would have a big white truck and who might be on the backside of our property with lawn care equipment? And as it turns out, <laughs> we did. <laughs> so, so that was Josh, <laughs> who was our lawn care guy. <laughs> um, I don't know what the etiquette is. Is there a card? Like, if you know, you maybe should tell me later. We didn't know what to do. Because <laughs> Josh had hidden his lawn care co- equipment way back there because nobody ever goes back there. Nobody even knew it was there. <laughs> so I don't know. He gave us a really good deal on lawn care, but it, that might actually change. So we might have to uh, take, take up an offering <laughs> for the increase in, in lawn care. The, the problem was that I didn't know why he, had, uh, why he had came to us that day. I didn't know why he was there. And I was thinking that through even as it relates to Easter and the realization that if I'd have known why he was there, it sure would have made everybody's life a lot easier. You know, it would have, there wouldn't have been a sheriff wasting their time. Josh wouldn't have been in handcuffs on the side of the road. But I didn't know. And I was thinking back to the disciples and the, the followers of Jesus in those early days. And even to us now in the fight, like if we know why he came, it makes our lives a lot easier. Like we know what his purpose was and we don't have to guess. He said in John 14 verse 19, that because I live, you also will live. 
And he would go on to say, John 10, 10, that the thief doesn't come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You see, Josh didn't come to steal anything. He didn't come to kill and bury the body in the back nine. He just came to mow the yard. But I didn't know that. Get his lawn care equipment. Jesus didn't come to steal, to kill, and destroy. He came that we might have life. And I was really ruminating on that and praying it through, thinking, wow, we've, we just experienced physical life this week, or a year ago this week, right? And, and as I was thinking about sharing that story, I was also reminded that that's not everybody's story. This is the week that four years ago that Matt LaRocca went to be with Jesus, my first funeral for a 12-year-old boy that we've known since he was born. It wasn't his story. It wasn't the story for Carol and Melissa, Nathan Weaver, Steve, because they're, they're, this is the week that they lost their daddy and husband, Steve, eight years ago this week. And, and I could go on. I don't mean to, but you, you know this. Like some of you, maybe it wasn't this week for you, but this year that you have a moment where it was like, wow, this is, you guys are carrying around baskets, but I'm kind of a basket case this time of year because I'm just, there's too much grief for me. And as I was thinking through this Easter today, that if that's you, or maybe you're someone that you are not weeping out of sorrow, but you're just weeping bitterly over regret. And so Easter is not necessarily that great of a time for you, then you're actually in pretty good company. Because when you follow the story of Jesus' resurrection after he resurrected, it's recorded that he encountered a woman named Mary Magdalene. And it's, it's recorded that she was weeping by the tomb sorrowfully because she had come to the tomb with Mary, the mother of Jesus, with Salome, with the other Mary, which I love that. You know, there's the who's who in the Bible, and then there's the who's that. Which I would have been grateful for just an honorable mention if I'd have walked around with Jesus. So here's Mary, the other Mary, an honorable mention in, in Scripture. But Mary Magdalene in particular was weeping sorrowfully because she had come and imagine if you've just buried your loved one and put him to rest and come a couple days later and there's a giant hole that had been dug up and the body was gone, how that would just tear you up inside. That your loved one was gone and now their grave is desecrated and there she sat and she wept sorrowfully. And she was weeping because it wasn't the way it was supposed to be. Weeping because that wasn't how it was supposed to happen. Weeping because it wasn't what she had thought. And it says that Jesus asked her, why are you weeping? Why do you sit here and weep? And she said, because they've come and taken my master's body. And as she was explaining it, Jesus said her name, said Mary. And it was at that moment, in that instant, that she knew who she was talking to. And Jesus, the one who had delivered her, if I were to say to you, if I were to give you a checklist and say, hey, marry the prostitute, marry the sinner, marry... Everybody would say, oh, that's true, that's true, that's true. Except that's not... She's mentioned four times in the scripture. It's, that's never recorded of her. That's mentioned in Catholic history and in Hollywood, but not in the scripture. In fact, the very fact that she was walking with these older women, these mothers, alludes that she might have actually been as old as Jesus' mom. It's possible. 
But there wasn't some sort of an illicit affair. There wasn't some passion of the Christ temptation or last temptation of Christ thing. It was, she was there because this is the, the guy that had delivered her from demons, the guy that had brought her freedom. And when she saw him again, it's recorded that she stood up and went to embrace him out of gratitude. And he said, do you remember this? Don't touch me because I've not yet ascended to my father. And I wonder if part of that is because touching him would have caused her because his body was glorified. But I wonder more if it was because she was reaching out to the temporal, to Jesus' body, but not to God the Father. Reaching out to the body that had been crucified and resurrected, but not to the eternal. Jesus would say in John 14 that it's better if I go away. Why is that? Because you don't have to stand in line. It's like going to find a miracle from Jesus was like going to Chick-fil-A on Saturday. It was like a line wrapped around the building. You have to wait in line. You had to break through the ceiling. You had to push through the crowd to get to Jesus. But he said, it's better that I go away. And the reason is, is now we all have a front row seat to the Father. I don't have to connect to a temporal, physical body of Jesus. I now have an eternal Father that is connected. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying to Mary, look, I've come to definitely to bring you comfort, but I've come to bring you conquest over your conflict. I've come that ascended to the Father that now you have direct access. And Jesus does not bill by the hour. He doesn't charge you to talk about your struggles with him. He just listens and brings you peace and brings you conquest. And to you that might be saying Easter is really about me, it's kind of hard because I've just, this is a year I've wept sorrowfully. So did Mary. And I will believe with all my heart that Jesus would say to you, don't cling to the temporal. That maybe that body that you buried this year, that was, Paul would call it a tent. We just folded up that tent and put it away because the real life isn't the tent, but it's what was inside of the tent. And that is still alive today. In Silicon Valley, there's a Washington Post story today. In Silicon Valley, these tech giants, heads of Google and Oracle, are coming together to try to figure out how to the next great horizon in technology is how to make us live forever. They figure if they can reprogram our bodies, that they can defy death. But as they've been honest with themselves, they think, well, maybe we can get 150 years, maybe a little bit more. But Jesus didn't come to defy death. He came to defeat death. And defying death means I just didn't die. Defeating death means I rose again. That's the promise. I don't have to hold on to this temporal body. Yeah, you weep. The Bible never says not to be sorrowful. It just says that we don't have to weep as others without hope. Because we, Susan, you're going to get to see your daddy again. Amazing. And I believe that now he gets to join that what Hebrews calls the great cloud of witnesses. Almost like an arena that looks down over and cheers you on. You don't have to weep sorrowfully because we can now not hold on to the temporal but cling to the eternal. And you might think, well, that's, that's not my story. I'm not Mary Magdalene. I'm not holding on and trying to cling to this temporal thing of somebody that's lost loved one. Maybe it's that you have been weeping, not sorrowfully, but weeping bitterly. Jesus would say to Mary Magdalene, hey, go tell the disciples and Peter. He specifically singles out Peter. Not because Peter 
wasn't to disciple, mind you, but because Peter needed to hear something very specific for him. If you think of Peter, don't think of a little scrawny, uh, like, the, like, a, like a redneck backwoods fisherman with a straw hat sitting in a boat waiting for the bobber to go down. That's not the fisherman that he was. He was like a deadliest catch, micro narrating his life kind of fisherman. You're throwing nets all day long. He's a big, it's recorded, he's a big burly guy. There's a reason why when they raced to the tomb that John beat him there. Peter was a biggin. He's going to get there. (laughs) But here's this big burly and strong guy who on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus would say to the disciples, hey, look, you're, we're all going to go there and everybody's going to desert me. And what did Peter say? Oh, no, 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 not me, Lord. If everybody else, it wouldn't be me. I'd never do that to you. Cocky is all get out. Making that promise in front of everybody. And I believe he intended to keep it because when the, the soldiers came, imagine it's the middle of the night. Peter had fallen asleep because he's like me. And he had fallen asleep and he had awoken to you know, torches flickering and soldiers marching and armor clanging. And what did the disciples, everybody scattered, but what did Peter do? He drew his sword, and this is either courageous or dumb, and probably a combination of both, and charged into battle. Because he meant it. I'm not going to abandon you. It's recorded that he cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And, and I love it because even in that, Jesus was bringing grace. Because Jesus took the time in the middle of everything else going on to heal that man. Because Peter drawing the sword, took in a sword from a Roman soldier was a capital offense. Trying to kill somebody, a capital offense. And by doing that, Jesus took away the evidence. But Peter that night would then follow into, it was just James or John and Peter and they would follow at a distance and it's recorded that later that night they were standing around a fire and a little girl said, hey, aren't you one of those guys? And I wonder if the first one, I don't know, this is me just completely conjecting. Is that a verb? Conjecturing? If the first one, if it was just him just trying to remain incognito, you know, because he's ready to try to rescue Jesus. But clearly by the second and the third one, he was clearly... The guy that could cuss fish out of the sea, (laughs) cussed out the person accused. Oh, no, I've never blankety blank. I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know him. And it says that he went away and he, as the rooster crowed, the Bible says that Jesus said that he looked before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me thrice. And the chickens, they start pretty early in the morning. I got a text from my daughter Maddie this morning saying, hey, why do I have to go to Haiti to get woke up by roosters when I can just do that in the privacy of my own home? (laughs) Apparently the chickens were up pecking on the window this morning. I don't know. Unless one of our hens happened to crow this morning. Is that what it was? It was really loud. They get up pretty early (laughs) and they make a lot of noise. Peter heard that and the words rang in his ears and the broken promise was on the front of his mind. A broken man, a broken promise, and he broke down and he wept bitterly. And so maybe as a man, and I I, I don't want to exclude females from this, obviously, but as a man, this resonates with me. Of the commitments that you make or I make and the commitments that we break. That this time I'm going to get it right. This time I'm going to do it different. And then somewhere in the background, a rooster crowing and thinking, oh man, I did it again. 
And maybe like Peter, you're strong and you're burly and on the outside, nobody knows, but you do, you know. And maybe it's not even weeping outside, but it's inside the hurt that you carry of the broken commitment. And maybe the words of Jesus to Peter, the reality that Peter experienced that we could experience as men, which was that when Jesus resurrected, that the sacrifice was accepted. When the high priest would go in to the Holy of Holies every year, the people would wait on the outside to make sure and to hope and to pray that their sacrifice was accepted so that their sins could be forgiven. And the fact that the high priest, Jesus, our high priest, went into the tomb and came out again was evidence that it was accepted, that your sins are forgiven, even the promises that you've broken to your wife, to your children, to your job, to your God that they're forgiven. The sacrifice was accepted. And in doing so, we can wipe away those tears that we might weep bitterly as men. We can wipe away those tears that we might weep in sorrow over a lost loved one. And maybe you're coming thinking, yeah, Darren, I don't resonate with any of this because I haven't lost a loved one. You know, I feel like I got everything under control. But I just, I don't know, man. I don't know about this Jesus thing. I just don't know. So you may not be a a weeping person, but maybe you're just the dry-eyed skeptic. Because Jesus that day would also not just encounter Mary. He wouldn't just encounter Peter. He would encounter a guy named Thomas who didn't have any tears in his eyes. Thomas just had some questions. He heard the news, but he needed to see it for himself. And you know what's awesome to me is that when he said to, I, I, I won't believe it until I see it. I won't believe it until I can touch it. Jesus didn't say to him, man, you're such a jerk. I cannot believe that you, after everything I've done, he didn't, he didn't look down on him. It was mostly just, hey, you know what? You got doubts. I can handle that. Is that where you are? That's where you're questioning. You got some doubts. You know what? I can meet you there. Come and touch my hands. Come and touch my side. And to you that might have come this morning as a dry-eyed skeptic, maybe your wife drug you in here, or your girlfriend made you come, or your mama, you know, this is the one time of year you didn't want to let your mom down, so you came to church. Jesus can meet you there. He's not mad at you about that. He said, I'll meet you there. I'll let you touch it in the way that he did with Thomas. It says that Thomas was Thomas Didymus. You know what that means? The word Didymus means twin. It means that he was a twin. Who's the twin of Thomas? Maybe they left it ambiguous on purpose because maybe it's you and maybe it's me. Because I look at Thomas and I resonate a lot with him. Like, well, I appreciate your enthusiasm, Jesus. I just, I I have some questions. And the comfort that I feel from that is to know that he's okay with that. That he desires to seek truth with you and with me. And, and, and I would challenge you this year. Man, challenge, challenge him. Say, Jesus, prove yourself to me. I want to know. I want to experience you. And some of you might say, yeah, you know what? I already did that. But the prayer, he didn't answer my prayer. On that resurrection day, he encountered one more person. He encountered Salome, the mother of James and John. Someone who prayed just a few weeks before, hey, Matthew 20, it says that when you come into your kingdom, can I, 
have my sons be on your right and your left side. And he said, woman, can they, can you handle, can they handle the cup and drink from the cup that I'm about to drink from? And of course, James said, yeah, absolutely. The sons of thunder. Absolutely. We can do that. And on that cross, just a couple weeks later was Jesus. And on either side of him were these two thieves. And one of the thieves said to the Lord, when you go into your kingdom, when you come into your kingdom, will you remember me? And Jesus said, yeah, today you will be with me in paradise. Think about that. She had just prayed on the day that you come into your kingdom. Can my sons be on your right and your left side and look up to here today? You'll be with me in paradise today, your kingdom and thinking my sons would have been there if he'd answered my prayer. The faith that that would have bolstered in Salome to know that, you know what? He has my best interests in mind. He's got my children's best interest in mind. And whether you're a skeptic or whether you're weeping, Easter meets you. Jesus will meet you in any one of these situations. Any one of these moments of life that you might find yourself in. As our worshipers are coming back. Would you locate yourself this morning? Where is it that you resonate with? Is it with Peter? Is it with Mary? Is it with Thomas? Is it with Salome? What I know is that Jesus came not to steal and to kill and to destroy you. He came to bring you life. And he can do so in the darkest or the brightest of days. He didn't come to connect you to his temporal, physical body, but to the eternal nature of the Father, that his grace is enough. The simplicity of the gospel is so simply profound. And I would ask you this morning, if you resonate with Thomas, would you ask Jesus to handle it for you this week? You may be strong and together on the outside, but you're broken down from your broken commitments. Would you allow Jesus to forgive you, to receive the forgiveness that he's given? And maybe the sorrow that you've been struggling with and you can't seem to get past the grief, would you take it to the Father that Jesus ascended to the Father? Those who feel lost, you feel lost this morning, man. I know that the Father will meet you right where you are. As we're singing and, and worshiping a little while longer, I'm going to be standing right here, and Cortland will be right here as well. And I'd love to pray with you. You can pray right where you are. You don't need an advocate to go in front of you. You have Jesus. But if you'd like someone to pray, we are more than happy to do so. But go today. Locating who you are and allowing the resurrection to do what it came to do. Allow Jesus to give you what he came to give you. Life. And life more abundantly. Father, would you give us wisdom? Would you give us direction? Would you give conquest to those who weep sorrowfully? Would you give forgiveness to those who are weeping brokenly and would you just give the patience that we know that you give to those who still struggle with questions 
And would you give peace to those who come with the unanswered prayers that you have our best interests in mind. That the reality of the resurrection will go from our heads into our hearts. That we walk out of here in the identity of not slaves or servants or pets, but the identity of a son and a daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, in the nature of who you are, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.